Friends, as we come to the reading and preaching of God's Word, just a reminder that we are in the season of Eastertide. The party is still going, and then in this season of Eastertide, we're asking the question, what are we raised with Christ for? What are we raised with Christ unto? The scriptures say that if you are in Christ, that you have actually been buried with him through baptism into his death, and that you have been raised up with him into what the scriptures call to walk in newness of life. So we're exploring what does that mean? What does it mean to have newness of life? What does the resurrection life look like in the here and now? Or what are we raised with Christ unto? To, so for, to facilitate this question, this journey, we've been going back through the, the Gospel of Mark, which we've been in since December. And we're looking at these stories of resurrection, these little stories and conversations where Jesus was showing us all along the way what kind of life was going to be made possible by his death and resurrection. So, so far we have seen that we are raised to serve, that we are raised to trust, and last week that we are raised to believe. Today, I want us to see that we are raised to love. We are raised to love. We are raised with Christ to be lovers of God and neighbor. The text we're about to read uh, begins with a question from a group called the Sadducees, and they're asking a question about marriage in the resurrection. And this is the story, if you've heard it before, that always depresses married couples. <laughs> Remember the first, if you're married the first time you heard this? Because Jesus says when the dead are raised at the end of time, marriage will be no more. And all the married couples get real sad. We're like, no, like, well, what would it be like to not be married to you? I can't imagine an eternity without being married to you. We don't like it. Or if on, the, if on the other hand, you're looking forward to not being married in heaven, that's a different conversation. I'm willing to come and talk with you. But, friends, be prepared. This passage does remind us that marriage is temporary. It is for this life and not for the life to come. But more so, this passage tells us what is eternal. And what is eternal is love. Not just the love for a spouse, but love for God and for neighbor. In the famous passage in 1 Corinthians 13, it tells us that so much of our present world is passing away. Even faith and hope are temporary once they become sight. But Paul says what's going to last forever is love. It will never end. It will endure forever. Therefore, the greatest of all Christian virtues is love. And that's what we get to explore tonight. So the point is, before we read, there's lots of distractions in this text, okay? There's these people called the Sadducees, the only appearance in the Gospel of Mark, and who are they, and what are they all about? And then there's this question about a woman who marries seven brothers, each one after they die, what in the world is that all about? And then there's that whole, like, no marriage in heaven bit. So before we read the text, I just want to say, keep your eye on the ball, okay? There's lots of distractions. Don't get distracted. This text is not ultimately about marriage. It's about the greatest commandment in the entire Bible. It's about the very heart of the Christian life. Would you stand with me for the reading of God's Word? This is Mark chapter 12, verses 18 to 34. And Sadducees came to him who say that there is no resurrection. And they asked him a question, saying, Teacher, Moses wrote for us that if a man's brother dies and leaves a wife, but leaves no child, the man must take the widow and raise up offspring for his brother. 
Now there were seven brothers. The first took a wife, and when he died, left no offspring. And the second took her and died, leaving no offspring. And the third, likewise. And the seven left no offspring. Last of all, the woman also died. In the resurrection, when they rise again, whose wife will she be? For the seven had her as wife. And Jesus said to them, Is this not the reason you are wrong? Because you know neither the scriptures nor the power of God. For when they rise from the dead, they neither marry nor are given in marriage, but are like angels in heaven. And as for the dead being raised, have you not read in the book of Moses and the passage about the bush, how God spoke to him, saying, I am the God of Abraham and the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob. He is not the God of the dead, but of the living. You are quite wrong. And one of the scribes came up and heard them disputing with one another, and seeing that he answered them well, asked him, which commandment is the most important of all? Jesus answered, the most important is, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. And the second is this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. And the scribe said to him, You are right, teacher. You have truly said that he is one, and there is no other besides him. And to love him with all the heart, with all the understanding, with all the strength, and to love one's neighbor as oneself is much more than all whole burnt offerings and sacrifices. And when Jesus saw that he answered wisely, he said to him, You are not far from the kingdom of God. And after that, no one dared to ask him any more questions. This is the gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Christ. Let me pray for the preaching of God's word. Father, I simply pray, um, first of all, I thank you for the gift that is your word and the gift that is your spirit, and I pray those two things will be at work in us right now. I simply pray that we would know your truth and that your truth would set us free. We ask this in the name of Christ. Amen. Should be seated, please. There are, there are two questions in this text. There are two questioners, there are two questions, there are two responses. In the first, the Sadducees come with a trick question about marriage at the resurrection because they're trying to embarrass Jesus, trying to make his beliefs look ridiculous. And in the second, a scribe brings an earnest question about which of the commands is most important. He's actually trying to understand Jesus about what makes his authority so unique, unlike all the other teachers, unlike all the other scribes like him. And you can tell the difference between these two questioners based upon Jesus' response to them. Do you see it? To the scribe, Jesus says, you're not far from the kingdom of God. Which, by the way, is by far the nicest thing Jesus says to a scribe in all the Gospels. (laughs) Because the scribes are almost always opposed to Jesus. They're antagonistic to him. But this one is genuinely seeking. And Jesus says, you're not that far off. Keep it up. Keep at it. But notice how he responded to the Sadducees. Jesus says, you know neither the scriptures nor the power of God. Ouch. Guys, the point is this. Both of these people who ask this question, they are supposed to know the scriptures. The Sadducees and the scribes are two groups within Judaism that were supposed to be experts in the scriptures. In other words, of all the people... They should know the scriptures, but to one, Jesus says, you don't know it at all, and to the other, he says, you almost know them. You're on the right track. 
Guys, that's the real question I want posed to us today. Not, not just these questions they're asking Jesus. I think the question that Jesus is asking us, what would Jesus say to you? Would he say that you know not the Scriptures? Because every one of us in this room and everyone who's listening online is in one of these categories. Either you think you know the Scriptures, but like the Sadducees, you actually don't. Or you think you know the Scriptures, but like the scribe, Jesus is transforming your understanding of the Scriptures, and you are not far from the kingdom of God. Or perhaps you know that you don't know the Scriptures, and that's why you're here. Listen, that's amazing. We are thrilled that you are here. There is no prerequisite Bible knowledge to attend this church. Everyone in this room is trying to learn what the Scriptures mean. Or some of you really do know the Scriptures. And the evidence of this is all over your life. And it all hinges on this question, do you know the Scriptures? And how do you know that you know the Scriptures? What is the telltale evidence in your life that tells everyone, indeed, you know the Scriptures? Those are going to be our two points tonight, two questions. Do you know the Scriptures? And how do you know that you know? First of all, do you know the Scriptures? Again, I can't emphasize to you how audacious and offensive it was for Jesus to look directly at the Sadducees in verse 24 and say, Is this not the reason you are wrong? Because you know neither the Scriptures nor the power of God. And that's so offensive because the Sadducees majored in two things, the Scriptures and power. (laughs) This is like saying to a Wall Street broker, you know nothing of finance. Right? The Sadducees majored in power. They were the aristocrats of Jewish society. They were the ruling class. They, are, they were the power brokers of the Sanhedrin and the temple. These were the sophisticated of society. And as the sophisticated, they found their way into a belief. They did not believe in the supernatural. So they didn't believe in angels. They didn't believe in life after death. And as the text tells us, they didn't believe in the resurrection of the dead. They were anti-supernatural reductionist. Not unlike some of the sophisticated of our own day, right? They're like, this life is all there is, and it ends at death. That's it. But Sadducees also majored in the scriptures. Because they believed that, the only book, that only the books of Moses, that's the first five books of the Old Testament, only those were the true scriptures. And everything else outside of that was suspect if it didn't come from the Torah. And that's why they begin this conversation with Jesus by quoting Moses' teaching. They're testing him. So given those two things, like they major in power and the scriptures, so you see how bold it is for Jesus to look at them and say, you don't know either one, actually. Now what made him say this? Well, it's the question they bring to him. To try and demonstrate how ridiculous it is in their mind to believe in the resurrection, they bring what they think is an unsolvable question about one bride with seven brothers. Make no mistake, friends, they're trying to embarrass Jesus with this question. They're trying, they're trying to make him look foolish in front of everyone. And the scenario they put before him is really, really strange to us. It's something called leveret marriage. And this is really strange in our modern day, but it's very common, actually, in ancient cultures and in ancient Jewish culture. Because think about it, back then, people li- lived without a safety net. Like, there was no retirement accounts, there's no social security administration. 
So the security of your future was entirely dependent upon having a male child who would keep the family name going, who would build family wealth, who would provide for aging parents. Like, that's all you got. And so according to Jewish law, if a man died childless, it was the duty of the next brother to marry his brother's widow and try to produce a male heir for the dead brother in order to provide for his widow and to continue the family name. That's why it's called leveret marriage. Lever means brother-in-law. That's the way it worked. And so in the, Sadduc- in the Sadducees scenario, this happens seven times. <laughs> seven brothers die and the woman keeps marrying, which is a little concerning, right? I think, I think somewhere around the fourth brother, somebody would have gotten a little suspicious about the wife. I don't know if you're a serial killer or just really cursed or something, but nonetheless, this is their gotcha question. If the dead are raised, whose wife is she going to be since she married all seven brothers? I like to imagine at this moment the Sadducees like all high-fived each other thinking like, we got him. It's unsolvable. But Jesus disrupts their celebration with this bold comeback and he says, you are wrong. You are way off. You were led astray. And the reason that you are wrong is because you don't know the scriptures or the power of God. And then he proceeds to teach them what the scriptures actually teach. First of all, There is no marriage at the resurrection. Because marriage is just a signpost that points to the greater marriage between God and his people. And when we are raised from the dead and we see Jesus face to face, we don't need the signpost anymore. It's no longer needed because we will have the real thing. In other words, the union of marriage will be obsolete. Because we will have the union that we were most deeply made for. Union with God. Jesus says, we will be like the angels in heaven. That is, so satisfied in the presence of God that we need no other human satisfaction. Jesus says, you doubt God's power to do this, to make something this good, but that is exactly what he's doing. And secondly, he says, the scriptures absolutely do teach the resurrection, even from your beloved text, from Moses. And then notice he quotes one of the most famous stories in Exodus that Moses wrote, where God meets Moses at the burning bush and he proclaims, I am the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. Those people are dead. But God doesn't say, I was the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, but I am their God, meaning they're alive right now with me. And one day I will raise them up bodily to live with me forever. He is not the God of the dead. He is the God of the living. You, Sadducees, are quite wrong. Yes, the whole point of this interaction is this. The Sadducees and us, we get way off when we don't know the scriptures. We are led astray when we know perhaps other voices, when we know the voice of contemporary culture more than we know the voice of our God. We can get quite wrong if we don't know the Bible. So the question for us is, where in your life could Jesus say to you, is this not the reason you were wrong? Because you know neither the scriptures nor the power of God. Jesus says, brothers and sisters, if you know know the scriptures, then you will know a life that is stronger than death. You will will know a love that is deeper than marriage. You will know a hope that is greater than you can possibly imagine. 
You will know the power of God to make all things, all things new. You will know a union with Him that will satisfy your deepest longings. You will know a life in the resurrection that even transcends marriage and sex. Which, by the way, at the very least, should situate marriage into its proper context, right? It is good, but it is not ultimate. And therefore, we do not live for marital love. We live for divine love. Because divine love will last through death and into all eternity. Marital love, we say it in our vows, is only until death parts you. But divine love actually parts death and brings you face to face with the lover of your soul. So the question this text is asking us tonight is, do we know the gift that the scriptures are? Do you know the scriptures and the power of God revealed in them? He is the God of the living, and life is found in his word. Brothers and sisters, Christians believe this is the key to life. And therefore, let nothing, nothing, all of us stumble at this, trust me. But we should let nothing keep us from knowing the scriptures. To read them, to study them, to sit under them in weekly worship, to place yourself in an interpretive community in a church that will help you understand them. There is nothing, nothing more important in this life, according to Jesus, than knowing the scriptures. Which leads to our second question, which is how do you know that you know? <laughs> how do you know that you know the scriptures? That's, and that's actually the heart of the second question from this scribe. There's a scribe like nearby overhearing this conversation with the Sadducees, and he's really impressed by Jesus because Jesus clearly does know the scriptures. And so the scribe has a question. Now remember, scribes were also experts in the scriptures. They studied them, they transcribed them, they interpreted them, they taught them. So this scribe wants to know the biggest question there is. Which commandment is the most important of all? There were 613 laws in the Torah alone. Of all the laws given to God's people, which is the greatest? But you've got to remember, laws were given to teach God's people how to live in response to his grace. Remember the Ten Commandments. Remember how it begins. It begins with, first with what God did for his people. Remember? He said, I am the Lord your God who rescued you from slavery in Egypt. Now, here's how to live as my treasured people. Grace precedes the law. Law is how to live in light of God's grace. So in other words, the scribe is asking this question. How do you know that someone knows the scriptures? What is the telltale evidence in their life that they know the God of the Bible? Now listen, if, if you had no idea what came next, if you had no idea how Jesus answered this question, what would be your first instinct? What do you think is the telltale sign that someone knows the scriptures? Perhaps they're the smartest person you know. Right, they know all the answers. They can win all the arguments. Perhaps you might think they're the holiest person you know. They're like the really religious type. Do lots of religious things. Seems like they don't like to have any fun. Or maybe they're like the judgiest person you know. They're always looking down at you from that pedestal of superiority. Think about how would you answer that question? How do you know that someone knows the scriptures based upon the fruit that's in their lives? I'll tell you how the people of Jesus' day would have answered it. You know how you know? Faithful observance at the temple. That's how you know. 
burnt offerings and sacrifices. Now know this because that's exactly what the scribe brings up in verse 33 when he realizes that Jesus' answer is better. He's like, oh, it really is better than burnt offerings and sacrifices. Because that's how you thought you know who knows the scriptures. As someone who knows how important the temple is and they're, they're dutiful with their prescribed burnt offerings and sacrifices. But Jesus' answer is beautiful and is different and is better than all of our answers. How do you know if someone knows the scriptures? What is the telltale evidence in their life? It's love. Love. Jesus again quotes the scriptures, this time the famous Shema from Deuteronomy 6, that every faithful Jew would recite every morning. Verse 29, Jesus answered him, the most important is here, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one, and you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. And the second is this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. Brothers and sisters, that's it. There's the evidence. It's love. To love the one true God with your whole self. With all your heart, your soul, your mind, and strength. To give everything to him. To hold nothing back. To give give your whole self to God because he gave his whole self for you. When he gave his son to the cross. Your love for him will have no rival, no equal. And the second flows from the first. Because you love God with your whole heart, then you will love your neighbor as yourself. You will do for them what you would have done for you. You cannot have one without the other, according to Jesus. It is a double love for God and for neighbor. 1 John 4.20 says it like this, If anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. And he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. And this is the commandment we have from him. Whoever loves God must also love his brother. Another commentator sums it up so well. He writes, The purpose of living is the adoration of God and the cherishing of human beings. To love the God who loves you and to cherish the person who meets you. There it is. The telltale sign that you know the scriptures, according to Jesus, is love. I'm guessing you've heard this before. It sounds so simple enough, and yet, over and over and over again, we get off, don't we? We try to make it about something else. About 400 years after Jesus spoke these words, St. Augustine had to say essentially the same thing to the Christians of his day. It's a quote I put in the front of your bulletin. It's one of my favorites. Augustine writes, So anyone who thinks that he has understood the divine scriptures or any part of them, but cannot by this understanding build up this double love of God and neighbor, has not yet succeeded in understanding them. It's the same thing. The purpose of the knowledge of scriptures is unto love. We must keep telling each other this today because there is so much in our world today, Christians, in us, in the church, that contradicts our claims to know the scriptures. Just spend a few minutes on social media and you will get all the evidence you could possibly need. It's worth asking the question this week, where does lack of love in your life contradict your claim to know the God of the scriptures? Because that's the fruit that confirms it. 
Brothers and sisters, Jesus is calling us to love. To love God above all. We are made by love for love. We are made to love God. And in loving God, we will find the fulfillment of our deepest desires and needs. And then we must love our neighbor as ourself. To seek the good of our neighbors, even our enemies. Because Jesus sought our good, even when we were his enemies. By this, the world will know you are his disciples. By this, the world will know that you know the scriptures. It will be by our love. In the fall of 2016, the Grimsley family and a recently engaged Danny Hyman moved to Madison on the same day to start a new church and to start a new campus ministry at the university. Those early days were insane, (laughs) to say the least, where we regularly looked at each other and asked if we were insane for, for signing up for this crazy thing. We didn't know what else to do in those days, so, so we prayed, and we tried to meet people that might want to come to these things we were starting, and we started to cast vision, right? They cast the biggest pictures, ask the biggest questions of what we wanted to do. I wrote the vision statement for resurrection in collaboration with Danny, sitting across from each other in coffee shops like Crescendo and like Fifth Element. Remember Fifth Element? R.I.P. Actually, common worship, common life, common good, that's Danny's. And I'm not ashamed to use it and claim it as my own. But we were asking, friends, the biggest questions about what we wanted this church to be about. And no matter what catchy phrases that I would come up with mostly, we kept coming back to this passage. The greatest commandment. The double love of God and neighbor. This is the vision of the Christian life, and therefore it has to be the vision of this church. Friends, listen to me. In all the confusion in modern evangelicalism about what does God really want from us, he wants our love. He wants us to love him above everything else, to love our neighbors who are made in his image. We are raised with Christ in order to love. Or in the words of our vision statement that we settled upon, we find life through the gospel of Jesus in order to love. God and neighbor and bless our city. Those are fun days. It's been a heck of a ride, Hyman's. And now you get to go create another community in Richmond that will seek the very same vision. To raise up more lovers of God and neighbor. And friends, we pray every bit of God's blessing upon you as you go. We love you. Let's pray. Father, thank you for, for your scriptures that we are not left to our own devices or our own imaginations to try to figure out who God is. You have revealed yourself in the person of Jesus Christ and in the holy pages of Scripture, and we thank you for this clarity in the midst of all the chaos and confusion of our world about what it means to be a Christian today, about what it means to know the God of the universe. Thank you for this clear voice today that tells us it is to love. So Lord, make us lovers of God and neighbor because you have first loved us. Help us to love you and to love our neighbor as ourself. Lord, may the vision that is printed on the paper on the front of this bulletin become actually true of us. We pray this in the name of Christ. Amen.